Thank you, Lord, for the banquet table that's heavy with food, and that that's what your word is to us. And we are hungry. Our souls need feeding. So would you feed our souls this morning once again? Feed my soul, Lord, and each of us. Let your word come forth with power. Meet the very different needs that are in each of us here, all being met in the person of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Do that, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I wanted to start off just talking about how um, I'm sure all of us know, for example, that there was uh, in the 1940s a war that was being fought, World War II, right in Asia and in Europe, 1940s. In the 1960s and 70s in Vietnam, there was a war being fought, and then just recently in Afghanistan, Iraq, war being fought. We all know that. But do you know, do you realize that right now, today, there's a war being fought in your own heart? That right now, this moment, all morning long, and every day throughout the day for the rest of your life, there's a war that's being waged in your heart. And that what's at stake in this war is whether or not you attain to eternal joy in knowing God. Now, let me give you some background for why I say that. It all starts back with Adam and Eve, okay? Creation, Adam and Eve, they rebelled against God. They turned their backs on God, sinned against God. And the result was that God allowed the world to fall fully into the power of sin, came under his curse, under the power of Satan. And so, ever since, and everybody who's been born, we're born with a sin nature. We don't want God. We turn away from God. We resist God. We reject God. But all along, God has a plan, had a plan. And he made the foundations for this plan through the Old Testament time period, before Jesus. Raised up Abraham, called Abraham, raised up the nation of Israel. That was the foundation for the plan. And then he put the plan into motion 2,000 years ago when he came to the earth in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Son of God. The God-man. And Jesus died on the cross, just like Mary shared this morning. Don't you love that? Oh, man. Jim and Tina, don't you love that? It's awesome. Jesus came, he died, he rose again, and in so doing, he paid for the guilt of sin. He broke the power of sin. He broke Satan's power. And so because of what Jesus did, God can reach down from heaven with his grace and his compassion and change your hearts, set you free from sin's power, give you a heart that loves Jesus, loves to repent of sin, loves to know and trust God. And so because God's worked that in your heart, there was a point in time if you're a follower of Jesus when you repented of your sins and put your trust in Jesus. And at that moment, all your sins were forgiven past, present, future. You were brought into relationship with God. You became his child. He became your father. His love is poured into your heart. His guidance was given to you. His provision, his care. He's your father. He loves you. He's looking out for you. He's in control of your life. And you're brought into the joy of knowing him forever. At that moment, when you repented of your sins and put your trust in Jesus, that's what happened. Now, at that same moment... A war started in your hearts because Satan is furious that he's lost you. 
And so he is going to do everything he possibly can to attack your faith, if possible to destroy your faith, so he can take you out of relationship with Jesus now and forever. So the very moment that you became a follower of Jesus, this war started. And so right now this morning, Satan is strategizing ways to attack your faith. And all through today, you'll be experiencing different attacks on your faith. And so your life is receiving attacks, attacks coming your way against your faith from Satan, and you resisting and fighting back. That's why I say there's a war being waged in your hearts. Now, in the Bible, God wants to warn us and let us know this war is serious. It's deadly serious. We must fight. We must resist. We must be alert and sober. Because the cost of not fighting could be eternity. God's very serious in warning us. And... He's very loving and encouraging us about this fight. So all through this book, we read that he will be with us in the fight. He will not leave you alone in the fight. He will give you all the weapons you need to pursue the fight. He will give you all the power and the will you need to move ahead in the fight. And he promises that by his grace and mercy, you will be victorious in the fight. But the point is... We're in a fight. Got to understand we're in a fight. And that's what I want us to talk about this morning and, and I think next week as well. Now let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, which is one verse that clearly states the fight and the nature of the fight. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. A couple different scriptures we're going to be looking at this morning. 1 Timothy 6. It's on page 993 in these Bibles that we're passing out. Here's a little bit of background into uh, the book of 1 Timothy, just so you can put this verse in context. We're just going to look at one verse from 1 Timothy 6 this morning. Read the whole book on your own this afternoon. Take you about 20 minutes, maybe. It was written by Paul about A.D. 55, roughly 30, I'm sorry, 20 years after Jesus died and rose again. Written to a young pastor named Timothy who was pastoring in Ephesus. And in chapter 6, Paul brings his letter to a close with some pithy, clear, powerful, pungent statements of, of kind of summarizing Paul's concerns. And look at how he summarizes his concerns in verse 12. 1 Timothy 6, verse 12. He says, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I just want us to focus on those first seven words. Fight the good fight of the faith. What Paul is saying here is that we are in a fight. We're in a fight. Whether you choose to fight or not, you're in a fight. If you went through yesterday... And never fought. Today you're beat up. Okay, You've lost ground. If you didn't fight yesterday. Because you were in a fight yesterday. Satan's deceptive. He loves to have us not think we're in a fight. That's when he gains his best advantages. And gains the most ground. But if you weren't fighting yesterday. You got beat up yesterday. The normal Christian life is fighting. The good fight. Okay, Against Satan's attacks. 
Now, I want to stress that because too often we Christians can think, you know, the Christian life is supposed to be restful, it's supposed to be easy. And, and just like it was, t- whoever, who shared the verse this morning where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Oh, there is sweet rest in the fight. In the fight, right? So we have to understand the Christian life is a fight. It's not easy. That's what this book says. This book says that the Christian life, this side of heaven, is war. Rest awaits. Right? The crown awaits. Well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. That awaits. But now we fight. Feel that? Fight the good fight of the faith. And the focus of this fight is its faith. That's the whole focus. Because Satan is no dummy. He knows that the only way you can connect with the living God, be saved, be forgiven, is through trusting Jesus, through having a heart connection of trust, of faith in Jesus. That's the only way you can be saved. And so that's what Satan's going to target. doesn't waste his time with lesser things. He goes for the jugular. Faith. Seeking to do whatever he can to attack and, if possible, destroy our faith. So how do we fight the fight of faith? Let me give you three words. They all begin with the letter P to help you remember them. Okay? Three steps that I have found so helpful. And then what I want to do this morning is simply take three real-life scenarios and try to talk through how those three steps might be implemented. So the first P is plead, plead, P-L-E-A-D, for faith. I love in Mark 9.24, you just jot the reference down, or it's there in your notes actually, a man comes to Jesus and he prays and he says, I believe, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Now, I love that prayer because there's so many times where I see very little faith in my heart. But the beautiful thing is whenever you come before Jesus and say, help my unbelief. I need you. Strengthen me. Come to me. Bring your Holy Spirit to me. Stir up stronger faith in you. Whenever you do that, Jesus will come. He will come. He'll strengthen you. He'll give you faith. You'll feel your heart change. So that's the first step. Plead for faith, just like that man in Mark 9, 24. Second, we need to pick a promise. Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Your faith feeds on the word of God. This is your faith's food. The word of God, especially the promises of God. So if you haven't fed many promises to your faith lately, your faith is becoming weak and malnourished. The way that you feed your faith and strengthen your faith is through the word of God, especially promises. And so the second step is to pick A promise. You can just go from your own knowledge of the promises. You can talk to people in your home group. We've got our home group communities. Great resources there. You know, email an elder. Pick a promise. Second. And then third, we need to pray the promise. I love in Ephesians 6, 17, Paul's talking about the spiritual armor, which we use for the fight. 
And he says that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. This is a sword. And so you pick a promise, and then you start to pray the promise. Because as you pray the promise, set your mind upon the promise, talk to Jesus about the promise, think about the promise, meditate on the promise, lay claim to the promise. It's like you're unsheathing a sword. Whoosh! Okay? Power there when you set your heart and mind and trust in a promise in the Word of God. It's the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. So three Ps. Plead for faith. Pick a promise. And pray the promise. Now, let's take some scenarios just to kind of see how this works out. I think I'm going to take three today, if we have time, we'll see. And then maybe three more next week. So I'm hoping that through these six, we'll we'll cover a, a wide enough survey so that you can make application for whatever particular battle you're in now and have resources to for the battles that you'll face in the future. So let's let's imagine that you are feeling disappointed about something, okay? Maybe you were hoping to get a promotion, hoping in that, praying for that, wanting that to happen, and somebody else got the promotion. Or maybe you have been in a relationship with somebody that you were hoping would move towards marriage, and you've broken up. That would be disappointing. Or maybe you have been sick and have been praying for healing, and you haven't been Healed. So, as a result of this situation, whatever the disappointment has been, you are feeling your disappointment growing, your sense of sadness growing, your sense of, of emptiness growing. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Now, what's vital for us to understand is that when disappointment is growing, sadness, emptiness is growing, what that means at the same time is that faith is What? diminishing. When disappointment, sadness, and emptiness grows, it shows that faith is declining. Because if if you are trusting that Jesus is in complete control with his wisdom and his love and his goodness, he's in control of that promotion, he's in complete control of that relationship or that illness, if you are fully trusting that he was in complete, loving, wise control, you would still feel some level of sadness and emptiness, but it wouldn't be growing. There'd be a baseline of peace and joy in Jesus. So, if what you're feeling is basically emptiness, disappointment, and sadness growing, you've got to realize the war is being fought. An attack is coming. There's something going on below the level of the disappointment. Satan is attacking my faith. That's what's going on in this situation. Rule of thumb, whenever you find your heart moving out of joy and peace and hope in Jesus, my highest joy is Jesus, my highest hope is him, there's peace. When you feel your heart moving out of that, every time, every time, Satan's lurking, planting bombs, IEDs, right? He's firing bazookas at at your faith. Every time your heart is moving out of that, your faith is being attacked. And you've got to be alert to that. So that's what's going on. Don't say, well, I'm just feeling bad today. No! Your faith is being attacked. So, you've got to fight. How do you fight? First, plead for faith. Now, see, I, I, love, I love this step. Because when I've been disappointed, and I'm feeling my disappointment growing, I don't feel like faith is going to happen. You know? I, just, it's just, I don't think it's going to happen. 
I don't think there's going to be any joy for a while. Right? Uh, peace? Mm-mm, maybe tomorrow. Right? It's just not going to happen. Look inside my heart and say, mm, it's not going to happen. Okay? Now here's the good news. The good news is that faith is always something that God gives to us. It never started off with us. You never came up with it in the first place. He gave it to you. And so you start by pleading for faith. You say, Jesus, look at this heart. <laughs> Disappointment's growing. Sadness is growing. Emptiness is growing. I'm kind of bothered that you let this happen. I'm not trusting you. Forgive me. Help me. Strengthen me. And you plead with Jesus for faith. Strengthen my faith. Help me. Show me your promises. Show me you. I need your help now. And I promise you, I promise you, whenever you plead with faith in that way, Jesus will come. He will come. I mean, I'm sure every one of us who are followers of Jesus, you can see times in your life where you pleaded with Jesus with an empty heart that felt faithless and Jesus came and met you. So plead for faith. Then second, pick a promise. Lots of promises. I'll share the one that I use for disappointments. It's on page 661 in these Bibles. Jeremiah 32, verse 40. I love this promise. Jeremiah 32, 40, page 661. Look it up in your Bible, underline it. Put it on your promise list in one of the back pages of your Bible. You've got a promise list back there in the back of your Bible, right? Okay. P for promises right back there. Make a list of them. Here's Jeremiah 32, 40. I will, this is God talking, make, an, make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. Now what that means is that if you're trusting Jesus, then God never is diverting from doing good to you, which to put it positively, he is always doing good for you. Always. Every time you look at God, he's smiling. If you're trusting Jesus, he's smiling and he's bringing you good. Always. Everything. Everything that comes your way from God's hand is good. But now the fact that your disappointment is rising and your emptiness is rising and your sadness is rising shows that you're not believing that. Right? We've just got to be able to be clear on this. When, when disappointment and sadness and emptiness is rising in my heart, it's because at that moment, I'm not trusting that this is true of God. So that means I need to pray the promise. I take this promise. I open it up. I've already pleaded with the Lord to help me. And I just set my mind upon this promise. And I talk to Jesus about this promise. Fight the fight of faith with this promise. Say, Jesus, help me to see that you are always bringing me good. Nothing that comes to me is of ultimate harm. It's all intended by you for good. It's all meant for good. I can't see it now. Why I couldn't get this promotion, I don't understand. Why this relationship had to break up, I don't understand. But help me to see you. And so you pray, and you set your heart upon the promise, and as you do that, God will come. And he will open your eyes to see his love and his power and his goodness. Peace will start to rise. Even some joy will start to rise contentment will come and the Lord will change your heart and you will have resisted the attack of the enemy with the sword of the spirit, the word of God. You plead for faith, you pick a promise and then you pray the promise. That's one example, disappointment. Let's take another scenario. Let's say you're tempted to disobey Jesus. Okay, it's pretty obvious. This happens a lot, right? 
numerous times through the day. A brother in our church told me this story this week. He's in sales, and he was, he was in a situation where he didn't, but he could have lied. Black and white lied. Here's what happened. He's, a, he's in sales. There was a meeting with the managers. We got to cut way down on our entertainment budget, they were all told. And uh, then a few lights later, he was entertaining a client at a restaurant in Beverly Hills. And the, the client said he wanted to, to, to try some of the caviar. And so this brother in our church thought, you know, probably maybe 20 bucks, 30 bucks. And uh, the waitress said they're small portions. So he said, well, let's order two of them. And so they ordered two of them. And when they got the bill, it was $100 each for the caviar. And he said it wasn't worth it either. Anyway, no surprise. He's in trouble. Right Now, he could have written down on the report that there were maybe four of them at that dinner, or six of them at that dinner, and it would have been no problem. Nobody would have raised a peep. He could have. Jesus, however, and he knows this, and he followed this, says, let your yes be yes, and let your no be no. Tell the truth. Now, he, he did. But now, if you find in your heart that you're, you're thinking about my boss and my career and nobody would know and what's done has been done and I'll never do it again and what's the big deal, right? If you're leaning towards, you know, at that moment, your faith in Jesus is declining, right? Because if you trusted Jesus and you're hearing him say, Steve, I love you. I'm in total control. Trust me. Let your yes be yes. If I trusted him, what would I do? It's not that hard. I would tell the truth, okay? And if I'm leaning, being drawn, pondering, toying with the idea of lying, my faith in Jesus is declining. Satan, at that moment, is attacking and gaining ground over my faith. So, red alert, right? DEFCON 3, right? Go to action, do something. So, what's the first step? Plead for faith. It's like, Jesus, I'm tempted to lie now. I'm not sure what the big deal is. I could take care of this, I think, really quickly. I'm having a hard time here. Help me. I want to trust you. Change my heart. Forgive me. I want to see you. I want to see you and trust you so that I won't want to lie, so that I'll be at peace and confident about telling the truth. Help me to trust you. So you start by pleading for faith. And then secondly, you pick a promise. Okay? Because faith is fed by the word, especially the promises of God. You've got to feed your faith here. Don't try to stir up your faith without the word. Right? It's like telling a starving person, be strong, be filled, feel better. It's not going to work. Feed the starving person, the starving faith. And so look at John chapter 13, verse 17. Here's a great promise. This is page 900. This will go, this is a promise you can pull out when you're tempted in anything. I love this promise. It's a one-size-fits-all promise to resist and attack any temptation that comes your way. John 13, 17. Look at what Jesus says. If you know these things, speaking of his commands, if you know these things, blessed are you. Now, that word blessed here means joyful. Blessed are you. Joyful are you if you do them. So Jesus says if we do his commands, he'll bless us. He'll satisfy our hearts with himself And he'll take care of all of our circumstances to bring us the greatest joy in himself. If you do these things, you'll be blessed. 
You obey him, the result is what? Blessing. Okay? If you don't obey him, what do you miss out on? Blessing. If you know these things, you do them, you're blessed. Okay, so there's the promise. But then if I'm honest, I'll say, I'm not feeling it. Right? I'm just not feeling it. My, my feelings are being drawn towards lying. And so then you pray the promise. You set your mind on the promise, on the truth that Jesus says that he will bless me. I'll be most blessed if I walk in the way of his commands. And so you, you talk to him about this. You ask him to help you believe it. You confess that you don't. You, you ponder who Jesus is. You look at the cross and the love displayed there. And it's that loving Jesus who tells you, let your yes be yes and your no be no. It's the Jesus who rose from the dead, who's been ascended to the right hand of God, who has all authority over everything, who has power over everything. And he says, trust me, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And you pray these things. And as you do that, pleading with God to work in your heart, your faith will be fed by the promises. Your faith will rise and grow. Peace will start to come. Joy in Jesus will start to come and desire to have the blessing, to obey Jesus will come. You won't be obeying just because you're supposed to. I'm supposed to tell the truth. No, it's because I, I love your blessing. And if you're looking me in the eye and saying, Fuller, tell the truth, I say, yes, Lord, I love you. I want you. Yes. And you've conquered the attack that's been coming at you from Satan. One last example. Then we'll get some questions. Let's say you're feeling bitter towards someone. Maybe someone told you they would do something for you and they, 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 they broke the commitment to you. And maybe they said they would you know, call you or they said they would do something for you. Maybe, maybe your home group leader asked you to plan an event for your home group and you planned it and like one person came. Or, you know, just, right, things like this happen. Right? We get hurt by people. Intentionally, unintentionally. You do understand that, right? The only time you don't get hurt by people is in heaven. Okay, this side of heaven, you will be hurt. Okay, you'll be hurt here by, by us, by me, by each other. We don't want to do it, but it happens. And then when people hurt us, we start to feel bitter, right? We're bitter towards them, angry towards them, vengeful towards them. And as my feelings of bitterness towards someone are growing, my, my love towards that person is decreasing, right? Bitterness and love go like this, right? When bitterness rises, love falls. Here's the problem, though. Galatians 5, 6. Faith works itself out in love. If love is falling, what does that say about my faith? Bad things. Okay? Weakening. Attack. Getting destroyed. Problems. So, when you're feeling bitter towards someone, listen to this. You can't just say, well, they deserve it. And move on. Your faith is on the skids at that point you're feeling bitter. If you're feeling bitter towards someone, you are not trusting Jesus. Because faith in Jesus works itself out in love. Love. Doesn't mean that you say, oh, doesn't, what they did was right. You may need to go talk to them. Right? Or, you, or maybe you just could let it go. You don't have to talk to them. But the point is, you don't sweep it under the rug, but you will love them. Bitterness is not love. And so when there's bitterness growing, faith is declining. So we got to plead for faith. Jesus, I'm not feeling love towards this person. I'm bitter. You know what they did. Help me. Help me. 
You say, faith works itself out in love. There's not much love right now. It must mean my faith is weak. I need faith. Give me more faith now. Strengthen me. Come, help me. And again, I want to say, when you pray that, when you plead, when you put everything else aside and come before the Lord, maybe get on your knees and pray and ask Jesus to help you, (laughs) he will come. He'll come in a chariot. He'll come with an army of angels. He'll come with power. He'll meet you. I promise you, he will meet you if you plead for faith. And then you've got to pick a promise because he works through his word. And the promise that I use most, most of the time when I'm bitter towards someone is Genesis 50, verse 20. Why don't you turn there? If you've been around this church for any time at all, you've heard me talk about this verse. So I'm not going to change things now. It works. Page 44 in the Bibles we just passed out. Story of Joseph, sold into slavery by his brothers. What they did was evil, clearly. And we all know that that ended up meaning Joseph was the number two man in Egypt. Amazing. You know, from prison to vice president of Egypt story. You got to read it. It's fantastic. But even though the brothers had sold him into slavery, costing him years in horrifying conditions, Joseph wasn't bitter. And these brothers, I mean, they just they gave him the shaft. And they just, they were not like, it wasn't like, not like a mistake. It's not like, oh, we didn't mean it. They meant it. They meant it fully. And look at what Joseph says to them in verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me. He doesn't mince words. You meant evil. But God meant it for good. To bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Now, underline that phrase, God meant it for good. I have prayed those words. Many of you have prayed those words numerous times. Because the problem is, when I'm bitter, I'm focused on the first part of that verse. They meant evil against me. Right? Isn't that where your focus is? That's where my focus is. When I'm bitter, I'm thinking about, they've cost me. They've cost me big time. I'm mad about that. It's wrong. It's unjust. I didn't do anything to deserve this. I'm focused on the first half of the verse. And when you focus on just the first half of the verse, bitterness rises. Now see, here's where the fight of faith comes in. To focus on the second half of the verse is going to take excruciating effort to wrench your mind away from they meant evil against me and putting your mind on God meant it for good. That will take Labor and effort, like trying to bench press 400 pounds. You know what I'm talking about, right? Because when you're bitter, your brain is just going towards the cost. They cost you. They hurt you. You have lost now. You have lack now. This is unjust. This was wrong. Your brain just like flows into that like a big old canyon with a, a rainstorm with all, you know, whatever you could, flash flood. And to take your brain off of that and to put it on the second part of the verse, it takes Labor and work and effort. So you plead, help me, Jesus. And you set your mind on the fact that he meant it for good. And so what this, what this person did to me, even if they meant evil, or maybe, maybe it was intended well and just went wrong or they forgot or whatever, whatever, God meant it for good. Good is coming to me through that. 
So there's Joseph in prison. I don't know what he thought while he was in prison. He might have thought this. They meant it for evil. Good's coming. And if Joseph could have seen the good, think of how his prison experience would have been transformed. Right? Of course, we don't walk by sight now. We walk by faith. So all we say is, I know you, God, and I know that just like you brought Joseph great good, great good is coming to me through what this person did. They meant it for evil. Yes. I'm going to set my heart on how you meant it for good. And so we pray the promise. We talk to Jesus about this promise. Takes effort. Focus on Jesus. Help me to see you. You're good. You're loving. You're gracious. You, Father, are my Father. You care for me. Everything that comes my way, you've meant for good. I can trust you. Even some of the most hard, difficult, painful things, just like Joseph experienced, I can trust you. And as you pray that and fight the fight of faith and set your heart upon upon God, set your heart upon the things that are above, set your heart upon Jesus at the right hand of God, faith will rise. Peace will come. Strength will grow. Even some joy and some hope, even before you know what the good is, you'll know that good's coming through what's happened. And you'll have won and resisted that attack from the evil one. Fight the good fight of the faith. And so you see, the Christian life means you go through your day, you're, you're loving your wife, you're raising your kids, you're working at your job, you're, you're in your home group, you're in your community, you're advancing the mission. But all the while, you're alert to the fact that Satan is attacking your faith in various ways. Whenever your heart moves out of joy and peace in Jesus moves into worry or moves into bitterness or moves into discouragement, whenever you are moving towards disobeying Jesus in some way, red alert, DEFCON 3, attack against my faith is coming, plead for faith, pick a promise, pray the promise. That's what I want to call you to do. Two comments, and I want us to close. One is, you might be saying, I don't get this fighting thing. Everything's fine. Everything's been fine with me for months, years. I don't really have any trials. Work's fine. Kids are fine. Finances are fine. Jesus is fine. Everything's fine. I would say you're probably close to having your faith extinguished, if that's the case. I may not have explained it clearly enough, because in that everything's fine, I'm not hearing that, you know, I mean, love for Jesus, he's fine, right? Just fine. Are you loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Are you weeping over the city of San Jose? Are you grieving over your brothers and sisters who are struggling? Because I think it's really easy. Satan will either attack us through vicious trials or through complacency. Right? And so if you're saying everything's fine, where's the fight? Baby, you need to do some serious fighting. I mean, that could be misunderstood. You you heard what I'm saying, right? There's a complacency and a, where's the fight? And Satan's, you're tied up. You're going down. See, he's the deceiver. He'd much prefer to not do a frontal assault. Right? Okay. And then just, here's, here's my concluding words. This has really gripped me this week. It's just struck me afresh. The Christian life is war. This side of heaven, it's war. This side of heaven, it's a fight. If you're fighting, you're being a Christian. Okay? The good fight. Okay, don't start fighting against each other. Okay? If you're doing the good fight, you're being a Christian. 
Christians are fighting. The command that Paul gives to Timothy is fight the good fight of faith. Not be ready to fight or plan for fighting. Fight! Why? Because there's always attacks coming. So this side of heaven, we're fighting. Again, rest is coming. Uh, Lack of fighting peace, that time is coming. The crown is coming. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's all coming in the future. Now, we fight. Fight the good fight of the faith. That's what I want to call you to do. Now let's stand together. Let me pray. Pray over us. Some of us are going through, I mean, you know very well the fight's happening. It may be because you're in the thick of temptation or trial or bitterness or disappointment, or maybe because the light just went on, you're thinking, I am totally complacent spiritually. Either one of those is very serious attack, and we'd love to pray for you. And so, as Dave leads us, just come on forward, you can sit in one of these front seats here, and we want to be able to pray, and just be family Lay hands on you, pray, plead for faith for you, give you some promises, and help you. But Lord, I I just pray, would you awaken us to the fight that every day Satan is prowling like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. This is not pretty. This is not nice. This is war. And eternity is at stake. And your promises are there and your strength is available and you'll give us everything we need to fight. And you've promised that you will make us victorious in the fight. We have nothing to fear if we'll fight. So help us to fight, Lord. Alert us. Tune us in to fight in the fight of faith, I pray.